One of the benefits of the digital age is that no one can say, my watch was wrong. Because we all have cell phones, so we all, it all comes from the same satellite. So our times are synced, if you like. So by my time, it's 9.31, so we'll make a start uh, for the Sunday school. And, and of course, normally Pastor Sam is teaching, except for the first Lord's Day of the month, which changes a bit. And Pastor Sam's in uh, Texas teaching. He taught at uh, a conference for two days, Friday, Saturday. And he's preaching today in the church there in Houston, I believe, or Houston, I don't know how. Depends where you're from, how you pronounce it. So that's why we uh, have Sunday school today. Um, continuing our series on Christian worship. So let's begin with prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, a day in which you call your people to step into your presence and to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, as we study this vast subject, our prayer is that we would understand what happens when we worship the living God, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, bow down before him, his glory proclaim. Lord, help us in our worship to understand and to get full benefit of your day. Bless us, bless the preached word today, bless our gathering to worship, the singing of hymns, the Lord's Supper, and all the elements in which we worship you as you prescribe. We pray these things in Christ's name with thanksgiving. Amen. So I think it's, unless I lost track of time, it's about two weeks ago, we started this series. I was going to say short series, and I took that out of my notes. In case it's not a short series, because I only teach once a month, approximately, and um, I'm not sure if we'll get finished in four lessons. So today, the 2nd, uh, November, and December, uh, the 3rd and 4th. I suspect we'll continue in the new year, but... I'm not in a rush if you're not, and uh, we're learning about worship. I introduced a couple of books that may be helpful to you, Toza's book on worship. And of course, the book that I'm kind of following along quite closely is um, by Cruz, What Happens When We Worship. And, and really, this is not something that's just today. I mentioned today we'll look at what happens when we worship. That's the topic but really, this whole book is about what happens when we worship. And as we continue in the next study, we'll start to talk about the theology of worship. And all these things are geared, and you can use this phrase, hear this phrase over and over again, what happens when we worship, so that we can appreciate when we come here what is really happening. Because from a human point of view, especially a Reformed Baptist service, you look around and you observe the service, you say, uh, quite a bit happens, but not much happens. And that perception needs to change. So two weeks ago, we introduced the subject, and we spoke two weeks ago about the importance of worship. And we noted that the greatest commandment, as well as the first of the Ten Commandments, directly call us and command us to worship God. For in heaven... The angels and the heavenly beings and all the saints that have gone before us, what do they do? They serve God and they worship God around the throne, day and night, forever ever and ever, perfectly in the beauty of holiness. And we're in a class 
here on this earth. We're in a class to learn how to worship God more perfectly as they do in heaven, which is the aim of all things and even our sanctification. So we pose the question, which I said would be the focus of our lesson today, what happens when we worship the question that's going to come up again and again. And we hinted at some of the things that happen in New Testament worship, but the things we noted are really the elements that make up our worship. What do we do? We read scripture, we preach, we pray, we observe the Lord's Supper, and we sing hymns. These are elements of worship that are all used by God, the means to accomplish worshiping God in spirit and in truth. So the Lord has not just told us to worship, but he has told us the means that make up worship. And of course, in the New Testament, when the saints, the Christians gathered on the first day of the week, there in Acts, it tells us what the elements of that worship of God was. Singing of praises to God, the scriptures read and preached, the prayers, baptism, Lord's Supper, and, and that offshoot or benefit of that worship, which is communion of the saints. And, and we've already noticed this in a previous sermon and in other sermons where our singing is fellowship with one another. We sing to one another and to God. And we're united in one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So today, our heading, if you like, is what happens when we worship. You know what we do? We do these things. We observe these things. What happens when we worship? This is no new thing. Jeremiah Burroughs, the, the Puritan, uh, back in the 1700s, uh, exhorted the people of his day to learn what it is you do to when you come to worship God and what does worship look like. And you may think in the 17th century, they didn't have a problem with things like that. Yes, they did. And Jeremiah Burroughs exhorts his people. What is really happening during, during these moments of corporate worship? By knowing this, perhaps... It'll take away what may have become mundane repetition and replace it, hopefully, with zeal for God, gratitude to Him for what He does in worship. And note what I've been saying and will continue to say, what God does in worship, what God does when we worship Him. We simply need to understand what is going on in the first place, then no matter how exciting your week, and maybe you're going to try skydiving one day, and your whole week will be encompassed with that skydiving trip, or whatever adventure you planned, or how good your week is, all this will pale into insignificance, because Sunday is the highlight. The Lord's Day is the highlight, and the Scriptures exhort us to, in our worship, there is one place where we can taste and see that the Lord is good. So this is our object. Let's ask the question again, what happens when we worship? And I'm going to keep it simple as much as possible, and we're just going to consider two main points about Christian worship today. Firstly, to note that worship is a supernatural event. Yes, worship is a supernatural event. And maybe you've never thought about it in this way, but if we think about it, an event in which we interact with a 
supernatural being must, by definition, be supernatural. And this is what Cruz asserts in his book. God is a spirit. We don't worship a Buddha or a statue or an idol. We worship the unknown God, as he told the people in Athens. And God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And more than this, unlike a statue or anything else we may worship, whether it's sport or money or anything in our lives, unlike this, God, who is holy and in, infinite and omnipotent and omnipresent, and all of these things, perfect and majestic in every way, loving, just, and merciful, abounding in grace, if this God says to us, I will inhabit the praises of my people. I will take note when my people come to worship me. Something is happening when we worship. And consider all this when we respond to the call to worship God. Uh, wrap your mind around what will potentially happen in worship in this supernatural meeting. And it's not something we can see. And very often it's not something we could feel. If we could feel it, we'd be a lot more excited because we're human beings. That's why we like to. We feel happy when we start singing or playing the music that we love because we're controlled so often by our emotions. Then this is how we must sometimes. This is, as we come and approach worship, sometimes with boredom, when we consider it's a supernatural event, rather it should be with astonishment and with awe instead of yawns and reverence instead of resentment at young people. When I was a young man, you had to go to church and sometimes you resent that against your parents. It is not that we see worship as just another part of our week, as another one of those mundane things that we must perform. And it is a Christian duty that we must perform. It is on our checklist of things to do. We just think of all the elements of worship and, and we say, that is what happens. We read and pray and sing and do these things. But what are these elements for? And what really happens? What are they accomplishing? And what really happens when we worship? And this is the first thing we need to press to our consciences. We need to realize that something is happening when we worship. We need to educate our minds from the scripture as to what is really happening when we worship. Cruz says, and I quote from the little book, something happens to us. Something happens between us and the people we worship with. Something happens between us and God. And this should dispel the notion, shouldn't it? That, that I go to worship to observe. And many of us probably feel that way. That I go to worship to watch a performance, to see somebody do things that, yeah, here and there I participate, and, but I don't pray, but I pray silently, and I, and I sing hymns. Uh, I'm a spectator. Well, then worship is no different to going to the movies or a football game. Then it's no wonder that the church for centuries have tried to introduce things into the church to make it 
more interesting, to capture our audience. Let's buy our programs or music or whatever it is that is pleasing to us and as entertaining as possible. Let's be more seeker-sensitive. Why would we do we do that? The only reason we would do that is that we don't believe that something is happening when we worship and that something is supernatural between God's people and between themselves and, and God. And really, what goes on when we worship is different from these things. Because worship, real, true, faithful worship, is supernatural. The God of the universe appears by faith appears in the Old Testament as a cloud over the tabernacle and meets with his people. By his sovereign and gracious power, he changes them. And that's the first hint as to what happens when we worship. God meets with his people. God is everywhere. God is with me at work. God is with me in my sorrow and my trouble. But on the Lord's day, the scriptures make it very clear that that is a day when God meets with his people. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst of them. And he changes them. And he changes them. That is astounding. It's like, unlike anything this world has to offer. And yet, how easy it is to forget something as spectacular as this when we come to church to worship. And admittedly, spectacular and astonishing are not the words that you would describe our worship to somebody who says, what's your worship like in your church? And we like kind of, oh, well, you know, we were formed Baptists and we did this and this and that. You wouldn't describe it as astonishing, would you? In fact, many people would charge worship as boring, dull, dry, tedious. And boring is not a badge of honor to be worn proudly by a Reformed Baptist. And sometimes we think that God intends our worship to be in this way, and we think it even wrong to have our emotions stirred. And Cruz makes this point, just because it seems dull doesn't mean that it is dull. And if worship is dull to you, then we're not thinking correctly about worship. It is simply that we're not aware of what is happening when we worship. And that God is not pleased with those who wear that honorary badge or boredom badge. Or those who sometimes feel they just suffer through the service while secretly wishing it was not an obligation. In both cases, we've missed out on the marvel of worship. God wants nothing less from us than our hearts and our soul and our minds that are completely enraptured with the wonder of biblical worship from beginning to end. This is what God wants from his people. He wants you to be enraptured when you come to worship him because he is there and because he is changing your heart and he changes the hearts of his people and he does many more things supernaturally, things that we don't often realize because we don't think about it, and things we don't realize because we don't feel it, and yet sometimes we do feel it. And you know what I'm talking about. When you come to worship and everybody seems just dull and unrelaxed, 
And the Lord is speaking to you like never before. It's like a voice here in your head that God is speaking to you and you leave that service and everybody else is just chatting about it and you, and you can't believe. The Lord changes us when we worship Him. The thought of coming to, to church to sing His praise, to fellowship with the saints, to lift our, our hearts and our prayers to His throne, to hear His word and celebrate the sacraments of his covenant and receive his blessing. Anything else is to fail in this great exhortation. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And if we realize what happens when we worship, perhaps that'll change our perspective a little bit. So worship is supernatural and God is there. And God changes his people when they worship him. Secondly, worship is supernatural. Secondly, worship is meaningful. Worship is meaningful. True corporate worship is not boring, but it is meaningful. And here it is. Cruz says, not because of what we do, but because of what God is doing in and through us in worship. Worship is meaningful, not because what we do, good lights, good music, a band, whatever it may be, user-friendly, seeker-sensitive. It's not. It's not what we do, but true worship is meaningful because of what God is doing in and through us by His Spirit. And many churches seek to make it meaningful by making it more entertaining, as we mentioned. And what we do to attract people, let's dim the sanctuary, let's have impressive lighting, let's have props and loud music. Churches, if you go down south, my daughter lives in North Carolina, but anywhere in the south, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, all those places, the, the Bible Belt, as they call it in the U.S., if you go about these billboards, will advertise actual ad advertisements with photos, a band on stage, stage, smoke and beautiful lighting, lighting. The next slide is children playing outside games. The next one is couples chatting and smiling to each other in the church's coffee bar. And bold letters come up last. Church was never meant to be boring. And so this is what we do to make it. That's not true worship is because of what God is doing when we worship. Worship does not need to be dressed up to be meaningful. And Cruz uses good illustration. Brussels sprouts is one of my favorite vegetables. However, George, you read the book, he's smiling. He says, however, most of us know, besides me, because I love Brussels sprouts, that Brussels sprouts can only be enjoyed when it's dressed up, when it's tossed in oil and olive oil, and a little bit of garlic, a little bit of that, a little bit, of, and then just wrap it in bacon and grill it a little bit. And then we need to dress up Brussels sprouts to truly enjoy them. We do not need to dress up our worship to be meaningful. We do not need to do that. Because God is here, and God is changing his people, and God has given us the means by which he does these things. It's entirely wonderful on its own, and we can be blind to that, can't we? In a service where God is present, 
and active. The worshippers can themselves be totally unaware what is going on around them. And something is happening when we worship. And I love the, I love the hymn that says, The Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to sight. Precepts and promises afford a sanctifying light. And that's one of the things that God does when we worship. The Spirit breathes on the Word, and the Word jumps out. The Word convicts our heart. The Word builds up our faith. The Word fills us with joy, and His table fills us with inexplicable joy as we partake of Christ in the elements. That's why Christ said, when two or three are gathered in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. And Cruz makes the point that how a particular congregation approaches the worship service is not all that matters, although that is important, but how I as an individual Christian and a son and daughter of God and a faithful servant of God, how I approach worship is crucially significant. And there's another illustration of the book that, that Cruz gives, and I do recommend this book to be read, and it's an illustration of the man John Antioco. John Antioco, which I didn't know, was the CEO of Blockbuster, very extremely successful company before live streaming and cable and all, all of these things. And uh, he passed on an opportunity to purchase, to buy Netflix for $50 million. This must have been 15, I can't remember the year, 15, 20 years ago maybe, Blockbuster was flying. Netflix comes along and he says, a fledgling company, $50 million. No, no deal. Blockbuster is out of business today, and Netflix is worth $15 billion. And just because Antioca was blind to the potential of Netflix didn't mean that it lacked potential, and he lost the deal of a lifetime. And in church, we often miss out on the best deal, the deal of a lifetime. Our vision is clouded to the potential, truly the power of what is going on in worship. And just because we don't see it or sense it doesn't mean that it's not there. And there's a passage in 2 Kings, a wonderful passage, where the Assyrians are coming to the people of God and are overwhelmed, and the servant of Elijah is afraid. Let me read that to you. You need to look it up. It's in 2 Kings 6. Then Elijah prayed and said, Our Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. The servant was terrified because of the Syrians coming. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elijah. And you see the point? What happens when we worship? If we could see what happens, if we could see God here in all his glory, if we could see the Lord Jesus Christ walking amongst the seven golden lampstands, if we could see the work of the Spirit as he touches our heart here, convicts our heart here, and brings a brother over here who's been living in sin to his knees and in repentance before God. This is what happens when we worship, but we just don't see it. And, and I thought of the parable of the sower. You may fall into this category and think, it's wonderful what you're saying, but I've never seen this, and I've never felt this. And perhaps it's because we don't think about this. We don't think that God is here. 
We don't believe that God is actually at work serving his people while we worship. And as our study goes on, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But the parable of the sower teaches us that we can miss out. That if the seed that is sown, if we preoccupied with the thoughts of the world, we kind of take the seed and then the cares of the world, the worries of riches, these things, and it's gone. And it's gone. And the seed that is sowed in our minds are elsewhere. We want to be elsewhere when we're in church. And Satan comes and snatches that word the minute it's sown on our hearts. And it's like we need to practice the parable of the sower when we come to worship. Because God has given us elements that he works through in changing us. And we need to pay attention to that. And we need to take that word that he uses to strengthen our faith, to bless us, to encourage us, to chastise us, to receive our prayers and answer them and delight to do these things. Again, worship is supernatural because God is there and calls his people to worship him and has promised to be with his people in the assembling of themselves together. And through the Spirit, by the word, God works in his people. And worship is meaningful, not because of what we do and how we sing or how we feel, but worship is meaningful because of what God does by His Spirit in and through us. And that is astounding. Indeed, something wonderful, significant, spectacular, supernatural, and meaningful happens when we worship. God is there. God is glorified when we worship. God is working and ministering to us when we worship. God speaks to us when we worship, feeding our souls, strengthening our faith, correcting us, sanctifying us by His Spirit through the Word. God hears and God answers. God accepts our prayers and our Savior mediates our prayers perfectly as our great High Priest and our Savior draws us to God ever living to intercede for us. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Christ sits with us. Christ is there. Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. And his, by His grace, His blessings are imparted to us through His body given and His blood shed. And as we eat and drink, it's more than a symbol. It's partaking of Him by faith in our hearts. And we proclaim this in the cross of Christ. And brothers and sisters, not only does something happen when we worship, something happens when we conclude our worship. What is there at the end? There's a blessing or a benediction. And that, that is not to tell us that, okay, you can go home now. But God goes with us when we leave his house in worship. And when the benediction and that promise, that grace is pronounced, it is a promise from God that we take with us when we go into our week until we meet again. Something truly happens when you worship much more wonderful than we understand. It is supernatural and every part is meaningful. May God help us. May God help us to change our thinking and our attitude that we may become better worshipers, that we think and know that this is astounding.
that God is here with his people and he speaks to me, he corrects me, he gives me wisdom, he feeds me with the living bread and he blesses me as he sends me off in our week. So that's what I have for today. And next week we're going to start considering the theology of worship. And I don't want to drag this out too long, but I don't want to cut it too short. At first I thought I'll do this in four lessons, but I think we'll, we'll be a little bit longer than that. It's a wonderful subject and something that should be very meaningful to us as we consider what happens when we worship. Thank you for your attention, and um, we're right on time. So enjoy a cup of coffee and fellowship uh, with one another in preparation for worship today. Thank you.